Welcome back, y'all, to episode 165, 64 of the Zachary Wingate podcast, where we go 365 days bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast as well as informing as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax and listen and enjoy the show. Where his story caused widespread soul searching about the values he represented. Yoko's determined to survive in the jungle for nearly three decades and he refused to he refused to surrender despite knowing the war was over offering a unique perspective on the Japanese culture in the in the Bushido philosophy of honor and self-sacrifice so join us today as we deliver the incredible story of Shoshi Yoko, a man who refused to give up and spend 27 years surviving in the jungle. The story of survival, determination, one man willing to commit to his beliefs. Stay tuned as we uncover the mystery of Shoko Yono, the last holdout of World War II. Shoko, I can't even pronounce his name, Yoko, okay, that's the best I can do. So tonight we have a pretty good episode kind of getting into the life of Shoko Ono, a Japanese soldier who was one of the last surviving holdouts for World War II. His story started pretty interesting. When we look at, when I did some research trying to determine how, how his upbringing was, he was, he was lived actually in a family outside of Nanjing. He didn't grow up with the greatest upbringing. His mother was an alcoholic. I'm sorry, his father was an alcoholic and his mother left at a young age, growing up on a farm, creating a very tough mindset. Soko would enlist in the military in order to fight in World War II. During this time, he would be a part of the Pacific campaign. This campaign swept across Pacific Islands, destroying and dominating and taking over, until he would land on one island known as Guam. Guam in itself has a very interesting history, even going as far back as the great explorer Magellan. This island would be taken over by the, the Spanish um, and kind of created and cultivated in around 1812 during the I'm sorry, 1890, during the U.S.-Spanish War. During the U.S.-Spanish War, the the U.S. would send a ship into one of the um, Bay Areas, shooting it up, and eventually the Spanish could no longer um, contain the U.S., and the U.S. would eventually buy the island from the Spanish for around $20 million. Um... From there, you know, the island would be kind of built and created to hold a lot of, it's almost was built as a fortress. There's a lot of military garrisons within the island 
and itself has a rich culture of kind of, you know, kind of war in, in conquest. And this war conquest would pursue going back to the Pacific campaign, landing about, uh, I think, roughly 20,000 soldiers of 20,000 Japanese soldiers that would take over the island in World War II around 1940, and they would hold the island for 31 months. And during this time, they would create tunnels, create different hiding places, and really hold the land. Now, they'd taken it from a small group of Marines who eventually would give it up. So 31, 31 months would go by. And the Marines would come back for this island in full force with over 50,000 troops. This would overpower the Japanese troops holding the island, creating a KIA rate of 2 to 1. 18,000 Japanese troops would be killed. 7,000 U.S. troops would be killed. It was quite the, the scene of, of a lot of carnage there. One man would have witnessed this carnage, and his name was Shakura Yoko. As the U.S. forces would go into Guam and invade, Yoko would be detached from his platoon, landing him within the jungle. As a result of his upbringing as a farm boy and being able to develop, being very resourceful, he would dig deep which was known for the Japanese cave system. (laughs) Yoko would dig deep and he would actually create a hiding cave. Now within this cave, he would evade the initial invasion of the U.S. troops around 1945, taking back the island. But within this cave system, he would start to live there in fear for his life. Now, what's so interesting about the Japanese culture is they do not want to surrender. Defeat is the ultimate um, is the ultimate failure, and you can see this kind of transcending through the samurai culture, um, where if you were a daimyo, you know, if you were serving someone, you would never want to surrender. You would rather die, creating harikari, the act of taking your own life. This was really common within World War II as they would have a lot of, um, I want to call them Kawasaki's. (laughs) Um, They would have a lot of Kamikazes. Wow. There you go. Branding took over my mind. These these would be used on, on the island initially for the invasion but wouldn't stop in it. But Yokuya would live and create a cave in his system. As a result of this, he would end up spending 28 years living in this cave. 28 years living in a cave. People complain about apartments in New York. I mean, but this one, right? (laughs) All right, sorry, I'll get back to it. As a result of living in this cave, he would develop a lot of different... Um, interesting things to live off of 
you know, his consumption was really focused on whatever he could find. He created nets through plants, bamboos, um, he would eat shrimp, sometimes they would steal local cattle, but this was really, really rare. He would eat rats, he would eat fish, he would eat turtles, he would eat frogs, he would eat berries and nuts. And this would consist of his diet for 28 years. And even during this whole time, it was so interesting that Yoko would actually eventually find a flyer from 1952 stating that World War II was over. But he did not want to believe it. For him to give up would be the ultimate failure. He would rather die and live in a cave than go back to a surrendered Japan. This was the mentality of a lot of these soldiers and why it was so hard to, to fight them. Now, 28 years would go by and it was the same thing, you know, and he would sustain certain issues. Um, whenever he was found, it was actually found that he had a crushed vertebrae in the lower back from a cave falling on it. Um, so, you know, these types of things would happen throughout his time, throughout his day, until eventually he would have been found around 1973. Yoko would be found in February of 1972. Now when they found him, he was fighting. He thought that he'd been found, but the 90 pound man posed no threat. He would have been in his 50s. And they took him, and in two weeks of finding him, he would be back in his motherland of Japan. As he arrived in Tokyo, he, to Tokyo, he had a hero's welcome, not like any other. Alright, that was kind of light. But, as a result of coming back, it was immediate culture shock for him. The man hadn't eaten salt in 30 years. And he lived kind of this very interesting life. Coming back in February of 1972, the Japanese culture was obsessed with him. Taking pictures, shooting videos, asking questions. Really seeing him as a hero of the old era for never giving up while simultaneously being considered to be brainwashed by the old imperial system, one in which he was still very loyal to and still believed into that day. As he arrived back in Tokyo, he asked many questions. He asked if Franklin Roosevelt was still the president. He had died 26 years prior to that. He was not aware of the nuclear bomb of what happened on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He wasn't aware and never even watched television. He came back to truly a different Japan, one he was fighting and holding out for. The Japanese government would compensate him $300,000 for his time in jump. It was really a transitional period for him, but that did not stop. Oh, and as they found him, his health issues were really, really interesting. He had a strong heart. He had low testosterone as a result of not having any sexual um, touch. And it's even said that for some reason he was not able to get an erection for months. So he kind of taken on a different physical appearance. He had no teeth as a result of losing it. Um, but all in all, for a 50-year-old man who lived in a jungle only weighing 90 pounds, he was quite healthy. 
and his life back would be really interesting. In that same year in November, he would eventually find love. He would end up getting married. And where they honeymooned, yes, you guessed it, they honeymooned in Guam. I can't imagine that honeymoon. But for the most part, Yoko... Yoko... Yo, yo, Yokio would be nostalgic of the old times, thinking of what life was like before the war, really processing what happened. He would live his life with his wife, and they would actually go to Guam quite a bit in the modern era. You know, and he would be considered to be something as our Rip Van Winkle, if you will. His life would be one of very, very interesting struggles as someone who was so focused on maintaining the spirit of never giving up, no matter what it took. This was something that really, I guess, inspired a nation, you know. And then as he came back to a modern era, he would live with his wife for close to 25 years. As a result of their life, he would be officially taken care of, and he would die of heart attack in 1997 at the age of 82. Yoko lived quite a life, in my opinion, and I think it's really interesting how the conditioning of Japanese culture was so strong to allow this man to live 28 years in the jungle still under the perception that he is fighting a war. You think about kind of your modern day issues or modern day problems, and this in itself is a captivating story, one we don't see much, but it really articulates, in my opinion, how cultural norms can be passed down and instilled. This is going back to the samurai and how pride saving face is something that can be so important within Asian culture. I think what I learned about this story is holding on to things for too long do not serve you. Being able to process it. In a lot of ways, a lot of humans are like Yoko. They still hold on to stuff that happened to them in the past. They're still holding on to it. They're still fighting wars that happened 30 years ago internally. So I kind of leave you with a deep message here. Be able to process your demons. Understand that you're not much different from Yoko if you're holding on to things you haven't processed. And I say it because you don't want to be stuck in a mindset of processing the same thing for 28 years. You want to live your life. So with that, I conclude this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll get back to you tomorrow.